Good morning, everyone. Glad to see all of you this morning. Um, we Kids, yeah, if you're second class or under, you can go out with uh, Mandy. Uh, for February, uh, we are going to do... Uh, a kind of a little mini-series on uh, some of the words and teachings of Jesus. And uh, Jesus makes demands on us as followers. And so we want to look at a few of those places where, uh, where we see uh, the, the call to, uh, to follow and what that, uh, what that means. And uh, that's what we're, we're going to do uh, at least most of February. Next week, uh, for those of you that are a little old school, Nathan Dancy is supposed to be here. He and his family are going to be here, and Nathan is going to minister uh, the word to us. So if you know Nathan and Jenna, then you'll be excited about that. If you don't know Nathan and Jenna, then you should come anyway because you'll be excited to meet them. All right? How's that? Well, let's pray, and then we want to look at this uh, text that Adam read for us. Father, again, we come before you, uh, and we come humbly because we need you. Even as we sing, uh, there are so many things that happen in our lives that are overwhelming uh, or that, uh, that, that tip us uh, off balance, maybe, as it were. And uh, Father, we can't control those. And so, Father, we come humbly to acknowledge uh, our weakness before you and to ask you to help us. And in particular, Father, uh, as we look at your word, we need you to help us understand what Jesus is calling us to as followers. And so I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would help us to see uh, what is here and, uh, Father, how you might want us uh, to respond to it. And I pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts uh, as we move after the sermon into a time of, uh, of remembering what Jesus has done for us uh, on the cross as we celebrate the Lord's table. So, Father, we pray for your work to be done in this time. And would you take a few moments quietly, don't say anything out loud, but just ask God to speak to your heart this morning through these words of Jesus. And then as you take a few moments and just pray for me, pray that God might speak through me what he wants to say to us this morning. Again, we thank you, Father. We pray that you would help us. We pray that, uh, that you would work in us through your spirit. And we thank you, Father, for the promise that you've made that your word will not return void but will accomplish the purpose that you have for it. And we claim that promise this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm reminded of the story in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia of uh, Eustace Shrub, or Eustace Scrub, however you say his name, I'm not sure. But uh, he's, uh, he, he's on this journey with uh, the, uh, the kids, and they come to an island and as the, the kids, the rest of the kids are doing the work of repairing the, uh, the boat, uh, Eustace kind of wanders off because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do work. He doesn't like work. 
And as he wanders off, he finds his way into a dragon's keep. And there's, there's, uh, there, there's riches and treasure around him. And as the dragon sleeps and eventually dies, uh, Eustace sees all of this. And he ends up putting a, a bracelet on his arm. And uh, when, he awake, when he awakens, uh, he, he finds that, that through his greed, as he's been in this dragon's keep, that he himself has become a dragon. And so he is now uh, a dragon, and, and as, he, uh, as he goes back to the kids, they don't recognize him, uh, and it, all kinds of trouble ensues. Uh, but he has, in short, become what he has worshipped. And as he's been greedy in the keep, he has become uh, what he has worshipped. He's been enslaved by this, uh, this idol. And he lifts, he, he lifts up his voice and he, he weeps uh, because he's no longer a boy. He's a dragon himself. And idols are dangerous things. Uh, they're dangerous things. They enslave us. And all of us have them. Uh, all of us have idols. And I don't just mean you know, little statues like you might see in, in some foreign land. Uh, the, 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 ours are more subtle. Our, our idols are more subtle. Some of them are close to the surface. But others of them are, are further down below. Things that we love, things that we trust, uh, things that we serve more than God. And the thing about idols is idols promise to give us meaning. They promise to make us feel loved or special. They, they promise to give us joy uh, in the moment. Uh, but they're scams. They're frauds. They never deliver on what they promise. And what they do is they redirect our attention away from the only one who can truly give us those things that we are looking for. That meaning and that purpose and that joy. And so all we're left with is kind of an empty handful of promises that don't actually materialize. And we always begin by taking hold of our idols, don't we? But in the end, it works the other way. In the end, it's our idols that end up gripping and holding on to us. Now, there's the obvious ones, right? Uh, things like money or power or success or material things. We might say toys. Uh, but they're subtle ones, too. And so if you think about it, family can become an idol, something that we look to. Kids can become idols. Food can become an idol. Now, this doesn't apply to me, but exercise can become uh, an idol, can't it? Fitness can become an idol. Uh, control can become an idol, can't it? Control can become something that we look to in place of God to give us meaning, purpose, or joy uh, in the moment. And these counterfeit gods are, are frauds, and they are at war within us every moment of every day, vying to get us to follow after them and to trust in them. And only God is able to destroy them. Only God's able to overcome them and to give us true meaning and purpose and joy. Well, if you look in our text, if you look back to the previous two verses, verses 14 to 15 of chapter 1, Jesus is proclaiming 
the good news that God is on the move through him, that God is at work. He says uh, in verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. He says today's the day and the time is now. So in response to that, turn, repent, and follow. And that proclamation, it confronts us. And it forces us to a a decision about the direction that we're traveling. It forces us to make a decision about turning and about entrusting ourselves to Jesus. But it isn't once and done. It isn't once and, and done. Even as believers, we are confronted with this message that daily demands that we follow after him. Now, Mark tells us this story in verses 16 to 20 of four men who are confronted by Jesus. Jesus arrives at the Sea of Galilee where he finds these four fishermen. And now Mark doesn't tell us a lot in the the story. He's more interested in the call and the urgency of the response. So it's, it seems like maybe these guys had, had, had heard Jesus preaching before. They had some uh, understanding of who uh, Jesus was. But God wants to make them into something new as they respond to him and his call. And listen, that's the gospel. It, it's the good news that God takes, as Francis Schaeffer called us, he called us this glorious ruin And the good news of the gospel is that God takes this glorious ruin and he redeems us. He buys us back and then he makes us new. He makes us new. And so the question is, how will these guys respond when they are confronted with this demand of the king to follow him and to give themselves to him? The book of Mark is all about following Jesus and and what does that look like when we follow Jesus. And we have to think about this because every day we are confronted with a choice. Will we follow after our idols, whatever they might be, or will we follow Jesus, the King? Will we follow after that which is counterfeit and cannot deliver on the promises it makes? Or will we turn and follow Jesus who wants to make us new? So I want us to think about today what it means to follow Jesus from this text. And as we think about this text, there's a couple of things that we notice. First, to follow is to forsake everything else. To follow is to forsake all. Faithful followers forsake everything else. To daily respond to the gospel is to daily choose to let go of these other things that we might look to and to follow after Jesus and his purposes. Jesus calls followers, doesn't he? He calls followers. And following requires movement. And so right away we see that the response to Jesus is dynamic. It's not static. So Jesus approaches in our text as he passes along the Sea of Galilee. He approaches Simon and Andrew with this simple call. Follow me. It's a pretty simple call. 
follow me. He says, come, follow after me. And they are confronted with a decision in that moment. And it's urgent the way it's presented. It's come, follow. It's, it's the king is here and the kingdom is at hand. Let's go, follow me. And that same call then presumably goes out to James uh, and, and John in verse 19 when he meets them as they are, are, are in their boat mending the nets. Follow. Come, follow me. So we see that the, this response to the gospel, again, the gospel being this good news that, that uh, of all of God, of all that God is doing in Jesus, his saving us, his transforming us, his leading us into the kingdom, that that response to the gospel is, uh, is dynamic. It's about moving towards Jesus and following after him. It's an act of turning and following as this declaration that God is working to renew us as we give ourselves to him. See, the gospel isn't just a box that we ticked back in 1984 when we trusted in Jesus. The gospel is, uh, the response to the gospel is a daily turning, a daily repenting and giving ourselves to Christ as we stand on the finished work at the cross. It's a continual movement in following after Jesus. And that's good news. It's good news because, look, God loves us the way that we are. But because he loves us, he doesn't let us stay where we are. He wants to make us new. And it's the cross and the resurrection's continual effect in our lives which bring that restoration. And look, let's, be, let, let's just be honest. I mean, all of us are interested in change, right? All of us understand intuitively there, there are things in us that need to be changed, that need to be renewed and made new. We all understand that intuitively. And it's the power of the gospel's work in us as we follow Jesus that brings that transformation about. And following means forsaking. See, following after Jesus is an exclusive thing. It means that we don't look to other things to do what Jesus wants to do. We have one master, and that's Jesus. It means that we let go of those counterfeit things. In Jesus' day, this master-follower relationship was an exclusive thing. It was almost like uh, wedding vows where you commit to following after this one person, this one rabbi or, or, or mentor or teacher or leader. And you commit to that exclusive relationship. These guys here in our text, they leave everything in order to follow after Jesus. So in verse 17, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. The call goes out in verse 19 to, to, John, uh, to James and John, the sons of Zebedee. In verse 20 he says, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and they followed after him. These guys leave everything. 
Uh, they leave their, their livelihoods. They leave their security in those livelihoods. They, they leave their father in James and John's instance. And in that culture, in that day and age, that was a huge deal. Where family took center stage in a person's life. To leave, to walk out from under the leadership of Zebedee, their father, and to follow after Jesus exclusively was a huge deal in that particular day. And they do it. And they had a lot to lose in doing it. Ultimately, we know that they ultimately lose their very lives. They make incredible sacrifice because they choose to follow Jesus. But it didn't matter because the king had called them. The king had called them to follow, and so they followed. Now, that's not easy, is it? It's not easy to abandon those things that we might look to in order to, 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 to follow after Jesus wherever he might lead us. That's not easy. And that's why we need the grace of God's presence to, to transform us and to change us and to make us new. It's God's spirit that sets us free. Eustace tries to remove the dragon skin from his own body and he discovers that he can't do it. And eventually Aslan, the, the lion, who is the Christ figure in C.S. Lewis's stories, comes and Aslan has to remove the skin. And he does. And Eustace returns to uh, a little boy. Uh, but he wasn't able to do it. And neither are we. And so, so part of following after Jesus is entrusting ourselves to him to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. So God is on the move. But faith demands that we leave everything and we follow after Jesus. And following means forsaking. That there's nothing else that takes higher precedence than him in our lives. But watch what else God does when we follow. He turns followers into fishers. He turns those that follow into fishers. See, following Jesus leads them and our story and it leads us into something new. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He turns followers into Fishers. And this idea is tied to the coming kingdom that we saw in verses 14 and 15. In the Old Testament prophets, fishing imagery is related to judgment. So God is the one who fishes in the prophets. And it's in the context of final judgment. But in the New Testament, Jesus picks up on that idea. He picks that up and he extends it to his followers. Except with a little twist. And that is that in his first coming, Jesus came to save sinners before he comes again in his second coming to judge sinners. And so Jesus is going to use his followers not to judge, but to rescue people from the coming judgment. See, this is, uh, this is the day of grace and Jesus is after transforming followers into fishers in order to rescue men and women from the wrath of God's judgment that is coming. Now, 
Make a note here. Followers become fishers. And this has been God's mission from the very beginning, to raise up redeemed worshipers from all the nations. And he calls out followers to participate with him in that ingathering mission. So Jesus is after making you something that you weren't before. And that's not just a statement about our character. He's doing that. But it's also a statement about our very reason for being. Our very purpose is caught up in God's mission of rescuing sinners of all nations through his people. So we represent the reign of God. We move, as we move forward as father, followers, gathering in people as we go. It's like a big dragnet that you might use to, to dredge the bottom of a lake. And it just kind of moves along and it catches everything up in it. This is what we do as we represent God by following after Jesus. We gather people in who want to follow him as well. And this is what God has always intended. Now, here's where that confronts us. And I remember years ago hearing Andy Stanley talk about this, and it was really convicting to me. Here's where that confronts us. Because if you were like me, that's not what you signed up for, is it? If you were like me, you said, I don't want to go to hell. And so I'm going to turn and trust in Jesus so that I can avoid this eternal punishment. Or maybe you trusted because your life was at a dead end. Or, or maybe you, you trusted Jesus in order to become a better version of yourself. Or you wanted God to fix some situation. I don't know. Fill in the blank, though. In verse 17, follow me and I will make you... You know, what did you think when you came to faith in Jesus? We all came to Jesus with different expectations of what God would do in us. But that's not what's here, is it? God's goal isn't to make you a better version of you or to fix your situation as an end in itself. God's goal is to make you and to make me like Jesus. God's goal is to make us new in order that he might use us to be in someone else's life what someone else was for you in your life. See, someone was used by God to catch you. God used someone to tell you about Jesus and the coming judgment and how he offered life through what he had accomplished on the cross. And now he wants to use you in the same way for someone else. Now I know what you're thinking. I can't fish. Maybe you're thinking, I hate fish. I like to eat, well, I like to eat them, but I don't, I want someone else to do the dirty work, right? Of actually catching them and preparing them. And God wants me to fish for men and women? But look, fishing happens naturally as we follow Jesus. As we follow, God positions us and he uses us to fish in the lives of those who are around us. The command in this text is to follow. That's the command. 
And then, as you follow, Jesus says, I will make you become fishers. This is an ongoing transformation. We don't arrive at fishers. It's not like, okay, you've done your class, here's your certificate, and now you are a fisher. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers. I will do it. It's an ongoing thing. He continually makes and uses us as fishers. And so look, right now, if you are following Jesus, you are strategically positioned by God to fish for men. If you think about it, no one anywhere else has the same context of relationships that you have. You are utterly unique in that respect. And God has positioned you for fishing just where you are. Think of some names of people that you know around you. You might be the only believer that those people know. And God has placed you in their lives and he's given you a relationship with them in order that you might fish as you follow. Now look, I, it doesn't matter how much you think you know or don't know. I mean, these guys, they didn't know anything about Jesus. And he just said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men, right? So fishing isn't a byproduct of education or money or worldly success. It's a product of following faithfully. He makes followers fishers. And so God wants to leverage everything that happens uh, in our ordinary, mundane, difficult lives of following for the sake of rescuing the people around us in this day of grace. Now, how's that for a life of purpose? There's no greater purpose. There's no greater joy than in doing exactly what you were created to do. You know, very often the things that we think preclude us from being fishers of men are the very things that God wants to use to make us fishers of men. And so oftentimes we think, you know what, I just go to work every day. And, you know, I just go from 8 to 5 and I come home. Or I, I just go to the grocery store, you know. Or I, I, just, I just do this. So, you know, what, what, what does God want to do? But those are the very things that God wants to use to position us in order that we might be fishers. And here's the thing. Our pursuit of Jesus and his calling are not at odds with our pursuit of joy. Because following after Jesus and being used by him are the only things that can bring us lasting joy. Again, if you want joy, then do the very thing that God has created you to do. Follow after Jesus. And as you follow he makes us fishers. So this is where the gospel confronts us every day. This is the, the king's purpose uh, in our lives. So what must we do? What does Jesus demand of us? We must faithfully follow our king. 
And as we follow, we fish along the way. Every day we decide if we will yield to the reign of the king in our lives or if we'll follow those counterfeits that make promises but they can't keep them. Will we settle for less or will we embrace the only thing that can satisfy us? Disciples faithfully follow and fish. So that means that you're not just a teacher. You're not just an engineer. You're not just a, a, a student. Uh, you're not just a, a taxi driver, whatever. You are a follower of Jesus. And as you follow, you are a fisher. You are one that God uses to rescue men and women from the coming judgment. As you follow. Idols can't give us true joy. They can't. They'll always let you down. The good news is that God wants to continually destroy them. So that we can find fullness of life in him. And in his purposes for us. To follow is to forsake. Jesus calls us to faithfully follow. And followers become fishers as God uses them in the lives of the people around them to rescue them from coming judgment. You want to make a start at this? And, and, and listen, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Uh, if you're a student, uh, it, 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 you know, whatever you might do every day, here's a good way to make a start of this. Think of three people around you that you know that need to hear about Jesus. Three people. And just write their names down. And commit to praying for them every day. Just pray for them every day. Pray that God would use you to give you opportunity to speak with them about Jesus. And just commit that to prayer. And, and look for opportunities that he might give. That's a good start at being a fisher of men. Someone prayed for you at some point, and God used that and used them to lead you to Jesus. Listen, that's what we want to be here as a church. We want to be a community of people who follow after Jesus. And as we follow after Jesus, we gather in people along the way who hear the message of the gospel, who hear that Jesus died in order to give us life. And it is through faith in him that we receive that gift of life. That's what we want to be. Faithfully following, fishing along the way. We do that in response to what he has done in saving us, right? Remember Romans 12? It's Jesus' death on the cross and then the mercy of God that we see in that act that leads us to respond to him by giving ourselves to him. And as we come to the Lord's table in a few moments, that's what we remember, isn't it? 
As we partake of the, the bread and the cup, we remember that Jesus' body was broken and that his blood was spilled, not simply for his sake, for our sake. He was being obedient to God because the Father wanted to see people redeemed through his sacrifice. And so as we come to the table, we come to remember that. But there's also a sense in which when we come to the table and when we remember that, we respond by renewing our commitment to that covenant, by renewing our commitment to him and to the call that he makes on our lives to follow. And so as we partake, we're, we're, we're making a statement to people. We're saying, I have trusted in Jesus. And listen, we're saying, I am going to follow him as one of his people. So as we partake of the elements, remember and renew yourself to that covenant. That's what it means 